All right, so we're continuing the series we've been doing on confessing the sins of the IFB, and we're going to kind of pick up where we left off last week. Last week we talked about uh, pastoral abuse of power, and that's one of the things that uh, definitely goes on where pastors get a little too big for their britches and sometimes end up abusing their power. So last week we talked a lot about uh, what the role actually is, you know, just kind of the biblical role of a pastor, what they're supposed to do. And uh, this week we're going to kind of look at some bad examples and um, I do want to do a little shout out. I appreciate all the free advertisement I'm getting from the trendies uh, on this and you all have got to pray for me because when I know a lot more trendies are going to listen to this than I have be, it's real hard for me not to be taking shots at them the whole time, but I need to stay focused on what I'm wanting to actually preach about and it's hard. Uh, it's hard when I know they're all going to be listening to it, but uh, anyway, I might save something special for them. Yeah, after it's all over, but I don't know. We'll we'll see what happens. But uh, anyway, First Timothy chapter three. This is where we have the requirements for a bishop. And I want you to notice something in here. I think we're all very familiar with this passage, but I want to point out a few things. So first off, it says it. This is a true saying. If a man desire the office of a bishop, he desireth the good work. A bishop then must be blameless. So we're seeing right here that that office of a bishop it's a good work, but it's not for everybody. He's going to give some qualifications here, some requirements for somebody who's going to hold this position, for somebody who's going to do this work. And so he must be blameless. The husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, of good behavior, given to hospitality, apt to teach, not given to wine, no striker, not greedy of filthy lucre, but patient, not a brawler, not covetous, one that ruleth well his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity. For if a man know not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? Not a novice, watch this, lest being lifted up with pride, he fall into the condemnation of the devil. So notice how just because somebody is a pastor, just because somebody is even saved, just because somebody has a lot of these requirements, we need to understand that there is a potential for a fall. And so we're trying to uh, get people who meet certain qualifications so we can prevent that fall from happening because it's possible. Just because you're saved doesn't mean you can't fall. Just because you get you receive the title of a pastor doesn't mean you're not capable of falling. In fact, anytime you're handed something where you have some kind of power, you're in a situation where you could fall, where you could be vulnerable and be subject to some temptations. And so that's why these qualifications are so important, because if you're going to give somebody an office like this, you've got to make sure this is somebody that we can count on so they don't give in to the temptation. And don't we want something like that when it comes to politicians, when it comes to mayors, when it comes to police officers? I mean, do you want a police officer who has absolutely no control of his temper when you give the guy a gun? I mean, really, if this guy's going to have a gun and a badge and authority, you know, is it too much for us to ask that they meet certain psychological requirements? I don't think that's asking too much because we're giving them a lot of power. You know, military people or whatever, the president of the United States. You know, is it too much to ask that we get them tested for Alzheimer's and things like that just to make sure, you know, this guy who's got the codes to all the nuclear bombs that, you know, we know we can count on this guy, you know, that he's got all his marbles. I don't think that's asking too much. And, you know, and I, and I get it, a pastor is not as powerful as some of those things, but a power, a pastor who has uh, leadership, who has some uh, you know, spiritual authority and things can 
And they often do completely misuse that power and end up being very dangerous people. And that's why qualifications are important because anytime you put somebody in that position, you're putting them in a situation where you can be tempted. There was one time I drove a police car. I was helping at a body shop and they were doing some work for the police car. And I got to drive the police car uh, to the body shop. And let me tell you, it was tempting to not turn the lights on and go pull somebody over. Because I just felt like I had all that power. I mean, and everybody was driving slow around me too. And I knew why. Because here I am driving in a police car. And let me tell you, if it wasn't for the fact that I knew I would have done jail time, if I'd have done anything like that, you know, it had been tempting. I mean, how, how, how many of you would like to have a police car to just go harass people with? All right. <laughs> I mean, we, would, we would all love that. And so, uh, you know, even though you might have the best of intentions, if you are given a position that does have some kind of power, it could go to your head and you can get out of control real quick. So we got to make sure you meet certain qualifications. It says in verse seven, moreover, he must have a good report of them which are without, lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. The devil is going to try to trap the pastor. He's going to try to get him to trip up. He's going to try to get him to fall because it can do a lot of damage when somebody who is in leadership, when they go down. So, so right here, just from 1 Timothy chapter 3, we see that that role of pastor that the qualifications are important because it is, you're putting somebody in a situation where they could do a lot of damage. So here's the question we need to be asking ourselves. If in the IFB movement, we're seeing a lot of guys fall and a lot of guys do a lot of damage, shouldn't we be asking ourselves a question? Why is this happening? Where did we go wrong? And the truth is, when you look into a lot of these situations, a lot of times, it's, you know, you look at the requirements of a bishop, a lot of times they don't meet the requirements of the bishop. Sometimes it's real simple things. Sometimes it's a little more complicated, but really there's just two things tonight that I want to talk about that I think that I believe very strongly from, you know, watching this stuff my whole life. I think these are two really big reasons why we are seeing pastors fall in the IFB. And I think it's two things, really no accountability and man worship. These are two big problems that go, are in the IFB world, no accountability and man worship. And so the question that always comes up, though, every time you see a pastor fall is, were they even saved? Okay, that's what everybody asks, right? We all, we all wonder that, but I want to show you something here. Okay, so first up, in Matthew chapter 7, verse 15, it says, Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. Now, do we think these guys are saved, these false prophets? Absolutely not. These are ravening wolves. These are people who creep in among us. Bible has a lot to say about people like that. So we've got to understand, sometimes we are dealing with tares among the wheat. Sometimes, listen, the Bible told us the devil is going to do that. He was going to sow tares among the wheat. The reason we often see bad pastors in the IFB church is because the devil sows tares among the wheat. Bad guys get in there. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. There's no, there's no two ways about it. There's no way we can always keep these guys from ever coming in. What we can do, though, is when they show their fangs, we can get rid of them. And, and listen, this is a side note. You know where they usually show their fangs? It's not when they molest somebody or do something perverted. It's usually in their doctrine. But often, we just let that stuff slip 
And then later all these other things happened and we're like, what's going on? Like Jack Scott, before he fell, he was preaching all kinds of weird, crazy stuff before he fell with a girl. That should have been the signal right there. Hey, we need to do something about this guy. But he had too much power. And uh, But they do. They always show their fangs first in their doctrine. So there's other things that come later as they get away with it. We see in 1 John 4, 1, it says, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. He says there's many. This isn't going to be a rare thing where false prophets prop up. Uh, pop up. It's not going to be rare. It says in 2 Peter 2, 1, but there were, also, there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you who privily shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. So again, we can't be surprised when a false prophet pops up, when a wolf in sheep's clothing pops up. We can't be surprised. But the way we can watch for them is by the doctrine. Always be watching any preacher's doctrine. Pay very close attention to the doctrine. Why? Because this is where they reveal themselves first. And if we don't do something about it, that's when I believe they get cocky, they get arrogant, and they're like, you know what? These people, they're not paying attention to nothing. And then that's when they start taking advantage of things. So, I mean, I, I think it's possible that one might do the perverted thing first, but I think they typically, in my experience, what I've seen, they were all preaching weird stuff before they did the perverted stuff. So always watch out for that. But bad pastors sometimes are just wolves. But sometimes they are good men who have fallen. And I say all that because, you know, there are going to be times where there's going to be people you were convinced that were saved. And you may have been right. But you know what? They fell. They, just, they fell. That can happen. And that's why you should always pray. For, you know, for the pastor. Always be praying. You know, pray that God protects him and pray he stays close to God because any of us are capable of falling. And so, as we talk about these things tonight, though, we're not going to worry so much about figuring out the difference between a saved man who fell and just a false prophet or a wolf in sheep's clothing. What I, what I want to do is I want to talk about things in the IFB that are setting up good men for failure. I think there's things about this model and how we typically do things that are setting good men up for, for failure. And so, as I preach this message, right, please don't assume I'm declaring some of the bad guys we talk about saved or lost. That's not what I'm doing. Okay, That's not what this message is about. I'm just saying all this, so as you think about examples, as we talk about examples, you'll understand it can be one of these two things. It could just be the guy was a wolf, but it could be he was a good man who fell. So, those are always two possibilities. So, the first thing, turn over to Acts chapter 6. The first thing that I think we're, we're killing ourselves, we're shooting ourselves in the foot in the IFB, is in this area of just no accountability. There's just, the, the, many pastors today, they have no accountability in their church. And we talked a lot about that last week, and I don't want to repeat a lot of those things. But let me uh, give you a good illustration of the mindset that I think, I believe, needs to be there um, when it comes to pastors or anyone in leadership in the church, whether it be a deacon, assistant pastor, uh, elder, whatever you, whatever you want to call it. But notice in Acts chapter 6 and verse 1, it says, And in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplied, there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. So remember the church, there were thousands of people in the church during this time. Okay, remember that. 
Thousands. We had 3,000 one day. We've had 5,000. So there's thousands of people in the church right now. The church is exploding. And so they need help. They need some servants in the church. And it says then the 12 called the multitude of the disciples. So there's a multitude of disciples. A multitude of followers of Christ. This is a big church. And, uh, and it said, and said, it is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, that we may appoint over this business, but we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And the saying, please the whole multitude. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Ghost, and Philip, Proturus, and Nicanor, Timon, uh, Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch, whom they, the multitude, the congregation, set before the apostles, and when they had prayed, they laid their hands on them. Okay. Now, first thing I want you to notice there is when it came to selecting these deacons, they were not handpicked by the apostles. They were handpicked by the congregation. They were handpicked by the multitude. They're like, hey, we need seven men. And the multitude got together and they said, listen, these guys are full of the Holy Ghost. These guys are ones we can count on. And so the congregation, they bring these uh, men to the apostles. And then the apostles, who are the leaders of the church, they laid hands on them. Now, this is something you need to understand. Okay? This is what I believe. When it comes to ordaining somebody, I, as the pastor, am the one who lays hands on people. But y'all, this goes back to last week. I do it on behalf of the church. And when it comes to ordaining somebody, okay, you guys want to be ordained someday. It's not about just impressing me. You need, you can't just put one over on me. You're going to have to put one over on the whole congregation. Because you better believe I'm going to allow the congregation to have some say in things. And if we start talking about ordaining somebody, I'm going to put it out there. Hey, if you all have any reason why I shouldn't ordain this guy, please let me know. If you saw him going into the bar last week, you know, and you see him going places that Christians shouldn't go, you know, let me know about these things. Because, you know, again, I can't be everywhere, but you know the great thing about having a congregation, you got eyes everywhere, don't you? And we, and you know, your testimony is it's a it's a very important thing and so i believe it's a church that ordains somebody but it's the pastor that has the role of the laying on of hands just like it's the church that baptizes somebody it's just often a pastor or it could be somebody else in the church who does the administering of the baptism none of us just do it in our own name so the thing so i show you that because in the IFB world, when it comes to staff, many times it's just exclusively the pastor's decision on these things. And you know what? Again, if a congregation wants to give the pastor that authority, I mean, technically they can do that. But at the same time, I think it's better if the congregation's involved. I think it's better if it's not just about what I think is the pastor, but what the congregation thinks. In a multitude of counselors, there's safety. And let me tell you, these deacons, as far as we know, were really good deacons. We know Stephen was really good stuff. You know, it maybe has something to do with that multitude of counselors, that multitude of disciples that chose these men. You know what? There's nothing wrong with taking advantage of all the people that you have in the church. But you know, you know what you are in most IFB churches? Again, you're just those people that fill the pews and help make me look good. I just got to get you dressed in a certain way. I just got to get you, you know, get, you got to get your look right. You got to get all these things down so I can impress all my evangelist friends when they come fill the pulpit for me. And, and that's all you are. 
in these places. They're, you're not you know, an active member, a part of what makes things go, and a part of the decisions. This is not how it is in a lot of churches. But I think, I think that's just too much to put on one guy, especially if you have a bigger church. I mean, if you have a bigger church, you can't just expect the pastor to be on top of every single little thing. Other people need to be involved. Other people need to be active with what's going on. I can't be everywhere. I can't see everything. I can't do everything. And that's what that's the point of a church. And so if everybody's a part of this, if everybody's involved, again, that helps us have accountability. And we need it, again, not just for the pastor, but for the deacons, for anybody who's on staff. We need that accountability. It's important. And it's just not there in most churches today. And so uh, the congregation was the one who selected these men, but the apostles were the ones who performed the laying on of hands. So the congregation should be on board. Okay? And so uh, you know, another way to illustrate it too, how a pastor ordains, but he does it on behalf of the church. Okay? It's kind of like this too. An executioner. Okay? An executioner is allowed to kill people, isn't he? But is he allowed to just kill whoever he wants? No. It's whoever society says, hey, this guy has been condemned in a court of law and has been found guilty and has been sentenced by a judge to death. You're the guy that's going to pull the lever on the trap door or give him the lethal, whatever it is. Okay? So that an executioner, technically, he has the authority to kill, doesn't he? But he doesn't have the kill, authority to kill whoever he wants. And I'm the pastor of this church. I have the authority to ordain, but I don't think I should just go around ordaining whoever I want. Okay? Now, you all, if you want to be lazy and just, it's all on you, pastor. I don't need to have an opinion. I don't need to have a thought. I'm just here to fill space. And I, I mean, I, again, technically we can do that. But that's not the kind of church I want to have. I don't think that's a safe environment. I think if we do that, you're setting me up for a fall. We need that accountability. It is, it's a very important thing. And so when congregations are actively involved, it provides protection. Proverbs eleven fourteen, where no counsel is, the people fall. But in a multitude of counselors, there is safety. And so when there is no accountability, the temptation to resort to some of our more baser instincts, they can become very strong. And so when men are not held accountable... There is really no limit to how deep into sin they can go. And, and think about this too. Cause, and here's another thing we got to understand. Again, things are going to change as time goes on, as the size of the church grows. The longer we're here, things are going to change. When you're just starting a church, a lot of it, it's going to take time to get these things set up. But I think a great illustration too of uh, where somebody went bad. You know, we all know the Donnie Romero situation. We all know, we all know what happened in that situation. And so first, you know, uh, one thing that happened there too is obviously he didn't have any accountability. Okay. I mean, the way he was spending the money, the multiple bank accounts they had. And let me tell you, it's a red flag right there when a pastor's got a whole bunch of bank accounts. I was just talking to a pastor recently uh, who was talking about the former pastor who had done some uh, perverted stuff sexually, but he was telling me too about all the bank accounts that there were. It was crazy how many bank accounts they had. And let me tell you, this is another side note too. Pastors who do perverted things do crooked things financially too. Just mark it down. 
It's almost always a package deal. You know why? Because if you're crooked and, crooked and slimy enough to do something perverted, you're not going to have any problem stealing some money. And you know what? If you're crooked and slimy enough to steal some money from the church, you have no control over yourself. And even if they're not committing adultery, they're probably looking at pornography. They're probably some kind of, you know, I mean, who knows what they're doing out there. People that are crooked like that have no control over themselves. And so just mark it down. A guy is perverted. He's probably crooked with the money too. And that was the case with Donnie Romero. And if a guy's crooked with the money, he's probably a pervert too. Just, just mark it down. He's probably a pervert. It'll probably, it'll probably eventually come out. But in that situation with Romero, one thing we need to understand too, because we don't want to be too hard to the church, because you've got to remember, that was a very new church. It hadn't been around very long at all, and it grew really fast. And most churches, I think he'd only been there for like three years. Most churches have been around for three years. They don't have a whole lot of that stuff set up with a bunch of you know real mature people. So you know, I don't think we need to be down on them for that. But um, you know, that was obviously there was no accountability there. And you know, we've been around for almost ten years. We're to the point we should have some accountability here, unless we've been here for ten years and we still don't have any mature people. And then that says a lot about the job I'm doing. It says a few things about you all too. But you know, and. Another thing too, you know, thankfully when that happened, when he got busted, he didn't put the church in a position where they would have to make the decision to get rid of him. Because I, I mean, honestly, you know, if I get busted for doing something perverted or crooked with the money, you all shouldn't even have to have a vote. I should just do the right thing and resign and, and step down. But, you know, we don't want to forget to mention too, when that happened, but when it was found out, his sending pastor exposed him immediately. And that's an important thing we need to remember about that too. And, you know, we don't want to be too hard on the congregation because it's said a lot of new believers. I'm sure they've learned their lesson with all this. But, you know, I, no one was watching what he was doing with the money. There's no doubt about that. And you do that. You, and so here's the question people always ask. You know, is he saved and just fell or was he just a really bad guy? I don't know. It doesn't matter. I will say this. He was in a vulnerable situation and it is very possible that he just fell. There was obviously no accountability when it came to those things. And you might be surprised. You know, I wonder what would happen to you if you all worked in a bank and there were no cameras and you were the only one there. You know, I mean, who, you know, who knows? We all get tempted with these things sometimes. And so the truth is we don't want to put ourselves in that kind of situation. We don't want to put ourselves in a vulnerable situation. And unfortunately, too many congregations are doing that to their pastor. You can't. You just can't do that. And uh, turn over to 1 Samuel chapter 2. I think another great example of somebody who did not hold some men accountable was the story of Eli, Hophni, and Phineas. Now turn over to 1 Samuel 2.12. Okay? Now, in the case of Hophni and Phineas, these guys were devils. These guys were sons of Belial. The Bible flat out tells us that. I don't have to, have to make a judgment call on this one. But notice what it says. It says, now the sons of Eli were sons of Belial. They knew not the Lord. Okay? These guys weren't saved. And that can still happen in churches. We read all about that in the New Testament. And the priest's custom with the people was that when any man offered sacrifice, the priest's servant came while the flesh was in seething. And with the flesh hook of three teeth in his hand, and he struck it into the pan or kettle or cauldron or pot 
All that the flesh hook brought up, the priest took for himself. So they did in Shiloh and all the Israelites that came thither. Also before they burnt the fat, the priest's servant came and said to the man that sacrificed, Give flesh to roast for the priest, for he will not have sodden flesh of thee, but raw. So notice one thing that Hophni and Phinehas did is they perverted the ways of God. They didn't do things the way God had prescribed, the way God had said to do. And notice how the ways that they did things, it was to their own benefit. It was so they could have more of that meat, so they could have more to eat. Because you know what? Chances are, when you look at Hophni and Phinehas, this is just my this is just my eisegesis. This is just my opinion here. I think these guys were just fat slobs, personally, because we know their dad was. We know their dad was a lazy, fat slob. And we see these guys were even worse than him. They were so given over to the flesh. I mean, they're, we're going to see, they're literally laying with the women who come to the temple, this holy place of God, and they're committing these horrible, vile, wicked acts. These guys, too, they're perverting the ways of God. Why? So they can get a little more meat, so they can get a little more to eat. That's just how, I mean, full of themselves these guys were. And it says in verse 16, And if any man said unto him, Let them not fail to burn the fat presently, and then take as much as I soul desireth, then he would answer him, Nay, but thou shalt give it me now. And if not, I will take it by force. Notice how they did everything their own personal advantage. And let me tell you something. Again, when it comes to the money in, and how money's handled in churches, this is one thing that gets me fired up more than anything. There are so many pastors who have no accountability with the finances. None. And they use it to their advantage. They steal from the church. Folks, that is so wicked. That is so wrong. And again, it's real hard for the law to do anything when it comes to this stuff. I mean, technically, if you want, you can let me do whatever I feel like doing with the church. But, you know, hopefully, at least the IRS, you'd think, could do something to these people. It, and churches need to pay attention to what's going on. And I can't even imagine going to a church where you're not even allowed to have any idea what's going on. I, I, I can't even imagine that. But that's a, a common thing in the IFB where nobody has a clue what's going on. And I'm not saying necessarily everybody has to know, but shouldn't you at least have some like trustees in the church that know? I mean, I get it. If you've got you know a really large church, especially too, if it's a church like ours where you got a target on your back and everybody's looking to expose you all the time, I mean, do you want to just be given financial reports to just literally everybody? But at the same time, there should be at least several trusted people in the church that the church could kind of a point over that and say, all right, we don't, not everybody needs to know because we don't need to necessarily give this to new members. People don't know really well. But, you know, how about this person, this person, this person? They've been in the church for a long time. We can trust them. We know they're honest. We know they're not just cronies of the pastor. And that's what usually happens. The pastor picks everybody and he gets cronies in the church. He gets his little thugs in the church, his little yap dogs, his little yes men, that follow him around and he goes around like a gangster with his little you know, posse behind him and they just echo everything he says and then somebody in the church dares have a question and then what does he do? He turns the dogs loose on him. You say, nobody does. Yeah, yeah, that happens in churches. You better believe that happens in churches. Folks, that's wrong. That is not a congregation-led church. That... That posse is not accountability for the pastor. He's probably letting them share in the gravy. I mean, who, who knows? That's how, that's how bad it is in some places. It is so bad. And I just don't understand congregations just sit there and take that. 
I just I, I do not understand that. I, I don't get it. It's I think it's crazy and weird, but yet it's a normal thing. He said people never did it. They did it here. These guys did. They perverted the ways of God. And notice what it says in verse 17. Or because we see uh, they said, I'll take it by force if you don't give it to me. They were controlling people. They were threatening anyone that got in their way. And we'll see that too, where I mean, a pastor can just snap his finger and you're out of the church. They don't, there's no process for getting rid of them. I've had people before complain, I got thrown out of my church. There was no process. No this, no that. I said, what was the process for joining your church? Nothing. Well, don't be surprised. You know, you don't have anything in your church constitution or bylaws. Everything's just the will of the pastor. What do you expect? That's a, you, know, you need to look at what you're joining sometime, folks. You need to check and see what you're getting yourself into. And the thing is, too, you know, you get thrown out of some of these churches, too. And you know, it's not it doesn't feel good. I don't care who you are. I don't it doesn't feel good when you get thrown out of the church and then everybody in the church is railing on you. The pastor's up there talking about you, sharing your stories with everybody. I mean, this, I mean that doesn't feel good, does it? That is not a pleasant experience. And people are scared to death of that. People are scared to death of getting railed on, having videos made about them, whatever. And you know what? People need to just do the right thing. But it's easier said than done. And they will, man. They'll send the goon squads after them. They'll send their thugs after them. And it's, it, you know, it's a traumatizing thing for a lot of people. And that's the kind of thing that Hop 9 Phineas did. These, and these guys, too, man, they carried a lot of weight, too. I mean, these are Levitical priests during this time. And they are. They're forcing people. And so it says in verse 17, Wherefore the sin of the young men was very great before the Lord, for men abhorred the offering of the Lord. People hated the things of God. Why? Because of a bunch of bad guys perverting the ways of the Lord, doing things to their advantage. And people said, I don't want to have anything to do with the things of God. And now the people are in disobedience. And it wasn't like it is today where you could go to the other church in town. I mean, back then, you had the one tabernacle. You had the one high priest. They had no choice. They didn't have other churches that they could go to. And so these, the, the things of God were still good. The things of God were still holy, but bad men made those things look bad. And you know what they did? These were the first recovering fundamentalists right there. People who said, oh, look at what they're doing, these bad guys, all this stuff they're doing, these guys, the perverted, the abuse, all this stuff going on. I hate the offering of God. I hate the sacrifices of God. Oh, that preacher was a pervert. I hate the King James Bible. That preacher was a pervert. I hate standards. I hate hard preaching. I hate all these things because that's what that preacher did. But folks, those things aren't bad. The IFB doctrine's not bad. People are like, why are you still in the IFB? Because it has the best doctrine. Because of all the good things that it stands for. Okay, I don't, you know, it's not, not because of the bad stuff that's going on. I hate that stuff and I hate that people are doing that stuff and are turning people away from the IFB. There's way more good than there is bad and all that bad they're doing, it's not a part of the IFB platform. But yet, we see more and more people who call themselves IFB are operating this way and then we all scratch our head and we wonder why they fell. I can't believe that good man fell. He was just such a great man of God. You know, the devil worked overtime on him. No, I think that guy just got put in a very vulnerable position. You shouldn't have done that. I think there's something wrong with this model where it's just all about the pastor. It, no, it's, it's supposed to be a congregation. The pastor is just the overseer 
I'm overseeing everything that's being done. I'm not the one doing everything. That's, that's not how that kind of thing, that's not how that kind of thing works. So verse 22 says, now Eli was very old and heard all that his sons did unto Israel and how they lay with the women that assembled at the tabernacle of the door of the congregation, God's holy tabernacle, and they're laying with women there. What and about these guys are perverse. Now listen, it's one thing if a guy is just attracted to a woman and quits on that is a horrible sin. But doing it in the tabernacle of God, it, that takes it to another level, doesn't it? You know, it, it, you mean pastors that have committed adultery and things, they're bad, they're perverts, they ought to be taken out in stone. But you know what, when I hear that stuff like this ha- has happened in churches in their office, I'm just like, wait a minute. How, how are you that demented that you're even able to do something like that? In a church, how demented do you have to be? And, you know, I tend to think, people, you know, people like that are typically sons of Belial. But either way, that's what we have with Eli's sons. But, and then notice in verse 23, it says, And he said unto them, Why do ye such things? For I hear of your evil dealings by all this people. Nay, my son, for it is no good report that I hear. Ye make the Lord's people to transgress. If one man sin against another, the judge shall judge him. But if a man sin against the Lord, who shall entreat for him? Notwithstanding, they hearken not unto the voice of their father, because the Lord would slay them. So notice, these guys didn't listen to Eli. Okay, But at the same time, Eli should have removed them. Okay, Yeah, he yelled at them. But you know what? He didn't stop them. And it's not enough to just slap a guy on the wrist. It's not enough to just dock the pastor's pay for a week or something like that. No, you need to sometimes just get rid of people. You need to actually remove them. And so the, the people, they knew exactly what was going on. The people told Eli, but Eli did nothing about it. And thankfully, God stepped in and God did take care of them. God took care of Hot Thang Phineas and God took care of Eli too. And so, and, and let me say this about Eli because Eli reminds me of a lot of pastors or you could say just congregations, the ones who actually have the authority to remove the pastor or should have the authority to remove the pastor. A lot of times they're just like Eli. And I, this is my opinion on Eli based on the things that I, you know, have read. We're not going to go through all the evidence of this, but I do believe that Eli had a love for God and a desire to do things right. But you know what else I know about? Eli, he was stinking lazy and he failed the people. We see, uh, I think it's in chapter three, he let the lamp of God go out. Okay? He, so he loved the Lord. He wanted to do right, but he was lazy. It's like a lot of pastors that are out. I know some pretty lazy pastors. They want their church to grow. They want God to do a work in their church. They just don't want to do any work. You know, they want people to get saved. They just don't want to go sowing. You know, they've got that desire, but they're lazy. There's a lot of lazy pastors out there. They just don't want to do the work. And I think that was Eli's problem. And, I, and you know, he failed the people when he did not stop his sons. And so I don't believe he was a reprobate, but he was guilty and he died. You know why? Because he was responsible for what his sons did. Because he was a high priest and yet he did not remove them. He did not get rid of them. He should have stopped them. I mean, they did plenty of things that he could have had them put to death for. Oh, I don't want to hurt my boys. Well... You know, then God will take care of them. And then you're going to go too. 
And unfortunately, that's why there's been a lot of cover-ups in the church in the past, is because a lot of times it's the pastor's son that's done the perverted thing. Let me tell you, there's a lot of fat, lazy, good-for-nothing pastors out there. They're saved, but they're just lazy. They don't have a lot of character. And you know what they often turn out? Hophni's and Phineas's. They turn out garbage sons, and sometimes those sons get in the ministry. And I've known some of these guys too, pastor sons, who literally went right from like high school or Bible college right into full-time ministry. They never had to work a regular job. You know how many pastors are out there? They never worked a regular job. And then they expect so much from their people. They expect their people to show up every night at the revival meeting. They have like four revival meetings a year, and they put all these expectations. It's like, you know, that's pretty tough showing up to church every night during a week when you got to get up at four or five in the morning to go to work every day. But did you know, if you don't do it and you don't go to every one of those services in some of these churches, you're going to get ripped apart from the pulpit. That's why we're not having revival. Y'all aren't serious enough about the things of God to come to church every night, sitting at home watching your soap operas. Maybe actually they're sitting at home sleeping because they've been working all day. You got to go play golfing with the evangelist all afternoon. And folks, I'm not lying. Okay? I, I've known some evangelists in the past. That is what they do. They travel around, they preach at night, and they golf all day. I, I'm, I've seen that. These are the things that I've pondered many times while working in the factory you know, over the years and just working hard. And then I get calls from these guys wanting to like, come preach or want support. And it's like, do you know what I did all day so I could provide for my family, so I could go pastor my church? At the same time, while not getting paid, while you probably just got done playing golf, you know, getting fat like Eli. I mean, folks, that, that kind of thing makes me mad. I, that stuff gets me a little fired up. And you know what? Every working man in here who's providing for a family, when you see these guys come in into these churches and they're too lazy to go out and go soul winning with the congregation, they're just good for nothing in that area, you know what? You shouldn't respect them. When they get up in church and they're preaching to these churches, you should give them funny looks. And you don't, you're not going to get a chance because we don't have these people in here. But you know, if, you, if you're in a church like that, you should, shouldn't listen to what they're saying. They're not pe- the kind of people we should be following. You know what they are? They're Eli's. And they got a lot of hop nights and finishes for sons. We've got a lot of evangelists traveling around the country, collecting love offerings every week while getting monthly support at the same time, you know, dropping all these little hints about these things they need so congregations will take up love offerings, so people in the congregation will give them gift cards and things. And these people turn out, they have sorry kids. They didn't even turn out good kids of their own. And yet they're going to get up and they're going to tell you all about old-time religion and everything you're doing wrong. I'm sorry, I don't listen to people like that. I don't have, I don't have respect for, the, for preachers like that. I'm not interested in them. Now, we don't, we don't have those kind of people here. But, you know, turn over to Ezekiel chapter 34. Ezekiel chapter 34. I need to hurry up. Um, let me turn that and put it in my notes. Ezekiel chapter 34. Man, I, like I said, I could just, I could go on and on about things I've seen. And it is, it's, I watched this my whole life growing up. And I'm, thank, I'm thankful I grew up in a, in a pastor's home. My dad actually started the church. I watched him work jobs while pastoring at the same time. So I didn't have this delusion when I started this church that I was just going to come out here. You know, I mean, I, I had hopes that it was going to take off real fast, but I knew there was a good possibility. It might not. I might have to work real hard for a long time. And I did, you know, and, uh, but at the same time, I never felt like I was too good for it. 
But Ezekiel 34, 1 says, And the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say unto them, Thus saith the Lord God unto the shepherds, Woe be to the shepherds of Israel that do feed themselves. Should not the shepherds feed the flocks? Ye eat the fat, and ye clothe you with the wool. Where do you get the wool from? You get that from the sheep. You're getting all this stuff from the sheep. You're getting all these benefits from the people. You're not feeding them. Ye kill them that are fed. But ye feed not the flock. The disease. Have ye not strengthened? Oh, these people aren't contributing to the church. These people are a pain in the neck. Let's get rid of them. Let's throw them out. Let's find something that they did wrong. Oh, look. They said something on Facebook. They like something that's kind of sort of against me. Railing. Throw them out. Maybe they need help. Maybe they're diseased a little bit. Maybe you need to actually talk to them. Maybe you need to go spend some time with them. Maybe you need to shepherd them. Maybe that. Maybe that's what you need to do. It says, Neither have ye bound up that which was broken, neither have ye brought again that which was driven away, neither have ye sought that which was lost, but with force and with cruelty have ye ruled them. There's bishops that rule well. Well, you know what? I don't think God wants us ruling with cruelty. I think He wants us feeding the flock of God. I think He wants us loving them. It says, and they were scattered because there is no shepherd and they became meat to all the beasts of the field when they were scattered. My sheep wandered through all the mountains and upon every high hill. He upon my flock was scattered upon all the face of the earth and none did search or seek after them. Therefore, ye shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As I live, saith the Lord God, surely because my flock became a prey and my flock became meat to every beast of the field because there was no shepherd, neither did my shepherds search for my flock, but the shepherds fed themselves and fed not my flock. Therefore, ye shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. And he goes and pronounces all kinds of judgment on them. But let me tell you something. There's pastors out there. They are living it up. They're living great. They're always taking all the dignitaries. They're taking all the other preachers of the five-star restaurants on the church's dime. Getting fat on the church's dime. Going all these trips. You know, flying first class. I mean, just living it up. Five-star hotels. I mean, just the whole nine yards. Just living it up. While the rest of the congregation's working their behinds off every week. And you know what they're doing? They're feeding themselves. Getting everything they can for themselves. And you know what? These congregations, many times, they don't even know it. They don't even know it. You know why? No accountability. You know, we get all mad at these politicians who get rich when they're in office. You know, what's going, you know something's weird when all of a sudden pastors are getting filthy rich. And, you, and, I'm, and I'm not saying you've got to keep them poor, but at the same time, you know, when they're, you, you don't want them taking advantage. And some, I mean, the labor is worthy of his reward. If they're doing the work, you know, that's fine. Compensate them. But some guys aren't. They don't do much. They're really lazy. Spend a lot of time doing a whole lot of nothing. And yet, getting paid for it. You know, and let me just say this too, because um, I've had people throughout my time pastoring, because I've got a platform on the internet, who always want to, like, tell me about weird stuff with their pastor and crooked stuff in their church. I had a guy one time, he sent me, all this information on a pastor who apparently was a pervert and he like had, it was tons of stuff. You know, I like got all this documentation showing me that this pastor, you know, had in fact, was in fact a pedophile. And it was like he wanted me to expose it. And I remember thinking, I've never even heard of this pastor. You know, I, I'm not connected to him in any way. Why are you sending this to me? And, and here, here's what, this is again, I, I love seeing bad guys get exposed, but I can't devote my life to that. I can't go checking all these things out. Because before I expose a pastor, 
I'm going to call him up first and give him a chance to defend himself. And I just don't, I don't want people sending me like just random information. All these, I don't, I don't have time for that. Send that stuff to Eric Korzynski. All right. Send it to him and let him take care of it. You know, he can devote his life to that. Uh, I, I got, I don't, I don't want to worry about that. But at the same time, these congregations have got to start dealing with it. They've got to do that. We have got to get that message out there. Churches, you've got to expose these guys. Leadership, especially if you are in leadership in the church and you find out the pastor or somebody on staff is a crook, expose them. It's your job. You're the one that has to do that. And don't come to me. You know, don't come to somebody else. I mean, and yes, their, their policy is going to get you. You know, but you know what? Let God protect you. You know what? Shield of faith will quench all the fiery darts of the devil. Do the right thing. Expose the perverts. Expose the crooks. Expose the frauds. You've got to do that. And if I could just somehow beat that. I know we're not supposed to be abusive, right? As pastors and beating things ahead. But if I could beat that in your head to take care of me, if I ever get out of line like that, you've got to do it. It's so important. But people just aren't. They're not doing it. It's an absolute shame. So pastors are shepherds and they should be putting the sheep before themselves. John 10, 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. But he that is an hireling and not the shepherd whose own the sheep are not seeth the wolf coming and leaveth the sheep and fleeth and the wolf catcheth them and scattereth the sheep. The hiring fleeth because he is an hireling and careth not for the sheep. I am the good shepherd and know my sheep and have known of mine. So right there we see a shepherd, he's working for them. He's taking care of them. Peter said to feed the flock. You want to know what they used to call pastors? All the time you don't hear it that much anymore. They used to call him the minister. Now what's a minister? Well, we've been going through Joshua. Remember in Joshua 1 verse 1, now after the death of Moses... The servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spake unto Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses's minister. So if Joshua is the minister of Moses, who's in charge? Moses, right? The one he's serving. So if I'm the minister of this church, then who's in charge? The church. Oh, yes, Pastor, but you know, you're the authority. You're the one that has a rule. Yes. You all have given me authority in certain areas. And if I rule well in those areas where I've been given authority, I should be kind of double honored. But you know, part of that ruling or where you've given me authority or where you, what I'm supposed to be doing is ministering to the congregation, feeding the flock. That's what I'm supposed to be doing, not cracking a whip. That's not, that's not what it's about. Not being abusive. And we need to get back to that mentality that pastors are ministers. The pastor should be serving the church, not having the church serve him. I should be feeding you, not you all feeding me. That's not the way it's supposed to go. And so turn over to Acts 14. Man, I don't know why these sermons are going so long. I don't understand it. But I'll I'll quickly cover this. Try anyway. Acts chapter 14 and verse 11. So this is the, so no accountability. There's just, there's no accountability on these guys, we're setting them up for failure. Another area we set them up for failure is in man worship. Okay? This is out of control in the IFB. Acts 14.11, when the people saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voice saying in the speech of Lyconia, the gods are come down to us in the likeness of men. 
Not going to go through this whole passage. I don't have time to prove this to you from the Bible, but just take my word for it. All right, like that's what they tell you all the time in the IV. Just take my word for it. This Bible, mankind, sinful man is naturally idolatrous. We are constantly warned against idolatry in the Bible. It is something we can all fall into. We are naturally idolatrous. And people want to worship somebody. And they, but they don't want to do it by faith, which is what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to worship the man Christ Jesus. We're supposed to worship him by faith. But you know what? It's easier to worship a man. And we see these people in the story, when they see Paul and you know, Barnabas doing miracles, all right, we got somebody to worship. Let's do it. Paul and Barnabas, what did they do? Oh, gentlemen, I appreciate you know what you're trying to do, but you know, I'm just a man like you. No, man, they rent their clothes. I mean, they got they let these people know, don't do this to us. We're men of like passions, like you. He didn't say, We're the men of God, but we're not God. You know, so tone it down just a little bit. No, you know what they did? They shut these guys down. And then you know what those people did? Then they stoned them. Hey, let me tell you, the flatterers do not love you. Okay? The people that sing your praise, the people that are the first to sing the praise of the pastor are always the first to stab in the back. It's just the way it works. Just mark it down. Okay? So just don't bother praising me. All right? Then it won't hurt so bad if you ever stab me in the back one of these days. Just, you know, just leave it alone. Just praise the Lord. Right? Just praise the Lord. Just do that. So, because it's in the very sin nature of man to be idolatrous, and it's always going to be a temptation not to take the praise. It's going to be tempting. You know, when you hear all the junk that I do, you hear of all the people accusing me of things and calling me names and all that kind of stuff, you know, it's hard not to just say, you know, I could use a little bit of praise right now. You know, I was blessed last week to get two emails at once, one telling me we've nominated you, to be the first one fed to the lions as soon as we start feeding Christians to the lions again. Alright. I guess that's a high honor. But then the other one was, hey, I got saved from listening to your preaching. Keep up the good work. Thank you. All in the same night, I got that email. You know, that was a blessing. But at, you know, at the same time, you know, sometimes pastors do. They get a little lifted up. They hear that praise. And you know what they do? They start believing the press. And you know what I've learned? Never believe the press. Don't believe the good press. Don't believe the bad press either. I'm not going to listen to the trendies, what they say about me. And I'm not going to listen to the, you know, the people that praise me all the time either. I'm not listening to either of them. I'm just going to do what I feel like I need to do. And that's all we can do. And you do, you pour it on too thick. One of these days, and I'm just not feeling good, I might get tempted to take it. And uh, so we've got, we've got, there's always going to be carnal people in your church. And they're going to try to put you up on a pedestal. Can't let that happen. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time talking. I had a whole section here. I preached a message several years back called Fallen Idols. Go back and just watch that message, all right? And I just talk, I talk in there about ways we make people into idols and just kind of some of the things that people do. And people do this kind of stuff to IB pastors all the time. Just following them around, making a big deal about them. I give some biblical examples on this, just going along with everything they say. Listen, folks, if you're just going to amen everything I say, even dumb stuff, I might be tempted to not check myself. You know, sometimes I say things, too, and I can tell that kind of fell flat. And you know what it caused me to do? I wonder if I was even right. You know? And sometimes I was like, yeah, maybe I was right, but I didn't communicate that well. You know? And, and so I am, I'm, you know, you don't want to just be 
these yes men. You don't want you don't want to be the yap dogs. You don't want to be that posse. That's not what we need. You know, they go around conforming themselves to the image of that pastor. Uh, so that, that stuff's going to go to their head. And so, in the IFB church model, the pastor of the church, he is often kind of the central figure. And the bigger and more prominent the church, the bigger of a deal he seems to become. You know, so, for the sake of argument, let's say that it's completely appro- you know, that that's completely appropriate. That the pastor is kind of the central figure. He's the star of the show. He's the main event. All right. You know, let's just say that that's appropriate. Um, you know, the doesn't that set him up where it'd be real easy for him to fall? Isn't that kind of a dangerous position? And that's why we have First Timothy three. We got to watch out for that. And see, when I was growing up, I think that the generation that was before me. I think they made a mistake when they tried to get the kids in the church and the young people to replace their idols of sports stars and movie stars and singers. They tried to get them to be Baptist preachers. And I would hear them say that all the time. It's like, you know what? I want my kids to be, uh, you know, fans of these people, have posters. You know, I want to make a big deal about preachers, about men of God. Instead of going and standing in line to get the baseball player's autograph, let's go get the preacher's autograph. Instead of going and trying to get your picture with the movie star, let's go get your picture with the preacher. You know, let's go, let's go do all that. And we kind of started making celebrities out of these guys. Folks, you ruin people when you make celebrities out of them. Hey, look at the Duggars. What happened to that family when they made celebrities out of them? That kind of thing, it kills people all the time when you turn them into celebrities. These, these parents out there that want their kids to be celebrities and get famous and on TV shows, like, what are you thinking? Have you ever seen what happens to these people? Do you want your child, daughter to be a Britney Spears that's like 40 years old and you got to take care of her still? I mean, there's, some, there's something wrong with that. But yet people, they promote that kind of thing. And folks, I get it. Yes, a pastor is a better role model than a baseball player or a movie star. But whatever happened to us not having idols? Whatever happened to us is not making you know, idols out of people. So I see what they were trying to do. I just think they messed up a little bit. I think I think they they took it too far. You know, they should have just taught not. I, I remember the uh, we were just I was, we were talking about it yesterday. I was with my family the Shawnee Youth Conference. The first year we went to that Shawnee Youth Conference. It was a huge youth conference. I think there were like over two thousand people there. And I remember that first year. I mean, they had the big names in there. It was like their twentieth anniversary, their twentieth youth conference, and they had the big shots. They had Jack Scott. They had Eric Capace. They had Steve Robertson. They had, uh, I, I, and we were talking about them all yesterday, almost everybody that they had at that youth conference is either no longer in the ministry or like Southern Baptist and liberal. I think the only one that's still considered the same we were talking about is Kenny Baldwin. I think he's kind of still in the same camp. He was always in. But like Eric Capace, I think he went Southern Baptist. You know, Jack Scott's in prison. Um, you know, Mark Bishop, he like got in trouble for some stuff and had to join the military to try to stay out of jail, I guess. Uh, Steve Robertson has been divorced and I believe he's Southern Baptist now, you know, and, but I remember at that youth conference, every time it came time for the evening service and the preachers to come out, they would do these big, huge things. They'd have the lights go out. They'd have the laser light. Play. And remember on the bulls that, they like started, I, I don't remember if they played that song. I was at a youth conference one time. I was trying to remember which one it was. 
It was either that one or it might have even been Northwest. And they literally started playing that. And then they announced, you know, the preachers. And then the preachers all come running out. The lights are on them. And everybody's screaming and going crazy. And, oh, isn't that a blessing? You know, most young people today, they're out there praising the movie stars, praising these ungodly, you know, homosexual music artists and things. But here, you know, we do it to the men of God. Not supposed to do it with either. And yet, that's exactly what they did. And you know what? Almost every one of those guys have fallen. We can't do that. That's taking it, that's taking it too far. And I, I get it. You know, I think, the, I think the motives sometimes are good, but we just, we can't do that. We're setting these guys up for failure and it's happened too much. It's happened way too much in the IFV where we're seeing guys fall. We got to ask ourselves, what are we doing wrong? And, I, and, and I'm convinced that a big part of it is there is no accountability. The congregations are not involved with what's going on. It's just pretty much the pastor deciding everything. When it comes to the staff and the whole nine yards, it's the pastor doing everything. The congregation is not involved. And it's that man worship. We're giving them too much power. We're making too big of a deal about men. And we are setting them up for failure. We cannot continue this type of model where we elevate the man of God above what he is and think nothing's going to happen. People get offended about the man of God. You know, Tim, you know Paul told, called Timothy a man of God. Okay? But at the same time, you know, it's... It's like they they take that verse where they call the man of God, and then they go back to Elisha, the man of God, and they think they've got the same juice as guys like Elijah and Elisha. Okay, when I see you call down fire from heaven, it kills fifty people. All right, you know, and then maybe I'll, you know, you know, when you curse somebody and the bears go and they like kill all the kids, you know, then I'll pay attention to you. But you know, we don't have that kind of, you know, firepower. But they act like we do. Y'all better not say anything against me. You do. I'd be looking both ways before crossing the street. I'd be, you know, checking my brake lines. Not because I'm going to do anything, but the Holy Spirit might. Amen. (laughs) Better watch out for that. But listen, the office itself is naturally going to come with some of these temptations. And we can't be doing things that are already unbiblical and then think we're not going to have disastrous results. And if, and if you need a man as an idol, you know why you do? Because you're carnal. That's why you're carnal. You need to mature. You need to grow up. You need to walk in the Spirit. And you need to admire the Lord. And He will satisfy the need that you have to worship someone. We all have that need in us. We need to worship someone. Let's let it be the Lord. Let's let it be Him. That's going to require faith. And don't let men, don't let pastors take advantage of you. They know how to do it. They know how to sweet talk. It sounds re- it sounds really good. It sounds you know completely legit. Oh man, there's no way that guy with that sweet soft southern accent would ever lead me astray. I mean, listen to his listen to him choking up as he's got his goat voice going. Amen. He's all choked up, filled the Holy Ghost right now. I'm gonna do anything he says. I'm gonna take up an extra offering, folks. Uh, I, I I not for me. Uh, it's for it's for for another man of God, another another good godly preacher. And I fully expect him to do the same thing for me at his church. Amen. Yeah. <laughs> I, the, that kind of stuff's happening, folks. It's out of control, and people got to stop falling for it. Okay? I, I, I'm, I'm getting sick of these scams and these schemes with these evangelists and their little things that they do 
And, and here, you know, let me just give away. I'm gonna. You guys got time for one bonus point? All right, one one bonus point. Let me help you how to. I'm, I'm gonna just destroy a famous tactic of evangelists to get even more money out of the church. And here's what they do. They all get up and somehow it magically fits into their sermon. I was preaching at a church, one place, and we, you know, we had this need. We were trying to raise money for whatever, for a new set of golf clubs. I knew I couldn't afford those golf clubs. Well, it was a $1,000 set of golf clubs. I can't afford that, but I really want it. You know, I need something to do all day while I'm waiting for service to start at night to work for my one hour. And you know, One of the men in the church came out, I feel like the Lord lead me to give you $1,000. I told the Lord I wasn't going to buy it unless he gave me an extra $1,000. Somebody in the church did that. Man, what a great blessing that was. I can only imagine the rewards in heaven. That man's going to get someday. And they do these little things where they tell these stories about some great things somebody did for them. And then they kind of do these things to praise that person, how the Holy Spirit used them. Well, you know, some of you, the Holy Spirit hasn't used you in a long time, have they? You know, my car, my, you know, my car is having some issues and, you know, my, my tires are getting a little old. You know, I'm hoping the Lord will take care of those things. But, you know, if the Holy Spirit's not using you, you know, maybe you ought to ask Him. You know, during invitation, there's one say, you know, Holy Spirit spoke to me about being a help to somebody. Come to the altar. You know? And then all of a sudden, they just magically, you know what? The Holy Spirit led me to buy the evangelist some tires for his vehicle. How did that happen? Oh, man. Hey, man. I, I, I don't even know how they do. <laughs> I mean, they do that kind of thing all the time. It is so crooked. And then people do. And they just shower them with all these gifts and things. And then we wonder when they fall. You know what we did? We made an idol out of them. We lifted them up. And we can't let that happen. It's, it's wrong. And it's getting out of control. And I believe those are the two main reasons for it. And so with that, let's close the word of prayer. Dear Lord. We thank you so much for your word and the warnings that it gives and the guidance. And dear God, I just pray that you'll help all of us to uh, make sure we uh, watch out for these things. I pray you'll help us as a church to uh, all work together. Lord, help this not to just be about me, but help it to be about the church. And I pray you'll uh, help this church to hold me accountable and we'll do the right thing here. So uh, we never have any kind of tragedy like we're seeing in so many places. In your name we pray. Amen.